As Christians, the Bible tells us that we are children of mercy. So the question is, how are we to live in light of that truth? Well, let's talk about that next on Truth For Today. So just how are the people of mercy to live? Well, that's a very good question, and the Apostle Paul deals with the answer here in Romans chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. So how are we, as children of mercy, to live? Well, first we have to understand what mercy is, right? And from there, we get a good glimpse as to what we are to look like after that. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard, here in Romans chapter 12 for today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Beginning verse 9, love must be sincere or without hypocrisy, without wearing a mask, literally. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Right there he has said two things. Love God and love people. The two great commandments. Love God, love people. Now he moves on to another category, and that seems maybe outrageous. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, and it will not always be possible. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And many of you, this is your favorite part. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And, and this verse doesn't mean what you want it to mean. We'll get to it later. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we get this whole litany of commands quick imperatives of how to behave after 11 chapters of doctrine, of explaining salvation, of explaining God's mercy in saving sinners. Notice if you read this book, and they would have had it read in one morning service. They wouldn't have it broken up like we are. If you start here and just think this is what uh, you're going to do, you will become a self-righteous Pharisee that will fail, and these mandates here must be in the context of 
what God brought you from, and he's put you into a mercy community, which is called the church. Look at where he found us. Look at where he found us. Back to chapter 1. Would you turn there? Chapter 1. This is, and let me read it a little bit different for you. Let's put our own selves in the passage. Uh, We'll pick up verse 28, where he began this book, and the reason God says I could pour out my wrath on mankind. I'm angry with where the human race is. They're not doing things the way I want. And here's the basis for his wrath. Watch, verse 28. Furthermore, now I want to put us in it. Since we did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave us over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. We have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. We are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. We have invented ways of doing evil. We disobeyed our parents. We were senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although we knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, we not only continue to do these very things, but we pull for the guy that's killing somebody in the movie. No, but we also approve of those who practice them. That's where God found us. You did these kinds of sins. All of us did. Some category. He didn't find you sinless. He didn't find, I know it's a shock to some of you. He didn't find you sinless. By the way, the reason the church is stuffy and often dead and why sinners wouldn't come here within a thousand miles is because if our ethics and our practice now isn't out of the background that I am a mercy project. God brought me from the ash heap of humanity, from in my sins, which were many, which were varied, and he brought me to himself through Jesus Christ, and the gospel's been saving me from all that garbage I used to practice and all those ways of relating and behaving. I'm now in a mercy community. God formed the church out of mercy. He spared you from what your sins deserve. And he began through the gospel to change your manner of living because he puts a new model in this. Christ becomes the model so that the community of God's people, wherever they are, should become a community of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. We've been saved out of mercy, and that's why he starts the chapter. Because of God's mercies, I want you to begin to respond to me this way. And what he forms is a divine community, and he begins to tell us what the ethics, how we relate in this community, what the give and exchange will be. So we need guidance. Don't relate the way you used to. Don't bring the way you related maybe in your home where there was dysfunction, maybe abuse, brawling, whatever negative things, 
Don't bring it over into the new life, into this new community. Don't bring your hang-ups. You've got to learn to put off the old way of thinking and living. And this is a common formula in Scripture. Put it off. Put on this new way of thinking. You say, well, show me somebody who ever acted this way. Your God, your Savior, he loved his enemies. He came and he will live out this. But we don't live this way out of good works. Ethics do not save. Mercy saves. Good behavior does not earn the favor of God. Because what you'll do, there's a lot of folks in church, they're proud. They're always saying, I'm better than them. Oh, you are? What makes you better? Well, I don't, I don't do what they've done. Well, you did something bad enough for Christ to die. You were that bad. That's pretty bad. Well, I, I never did that. And you know what a lot of church does? We love to bash sinners. We love to bash them for all their sins because we are the self-righteous Pharisees. You know, we vote right. Or we're in the right economic group. Or we're in the right this. Paul doesn't put up with any of that baloney because he's not self-righteous about the gospel and he's evangelizing. See, we don't evangelize very much because we immediately want to bash the way the sinner's thinking. And guess what? That's not his problem. His problem is he needs mercy. He needs Christ. Uh, there's all kinds of sins people do. They're going to be doing some kind of sin no matter, right? So just get going on a campaign against, boy, people are sleeping with each other. People are getting drunk. So what? They've been doing that ever since Genesis. What's new? Nothing's new. It's just multiplied. And, and we've now got uh, easy access to every sin you want to do just by a computer. And you get it right in your home and just feed on it by the hour. But God's community, God's church is a community he formed out of the death of his son. And he said, I bestowed mercy on sinners. Now, what's interesting, human beings have tried to form communities. They like to form them. Uh, that's why a lot of lodges are very popular. You know, uh, the brotherhood of the lodge. And we're going we're gonna to build all these rules and we're, we're a brotherhood. Okay, how's it going? I think of, have you ever heard of something called communism? Communal. We're going to be a community where uh, there will be no elite. There will be nothing over the people. All will share everything. Uh, there will be no uh, businessmen owning things. The state will own everything. We'll all work together in communes. Uh, everything will be equal. Uh, everything will be just rosy. At least that's what Marx told us. And Engel picked it up. Then Lenin picked it up. Then Stalin picked it up. And when Stalin became the, the czar of Russia, as it were, he killed 50 million of his own people. And you can read it in Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was one of the men in his many prisons. And he said, I watched 50 million Russians killed at the hands of Stalin, who helped us bring in the new communist community that we're all sharing everything in common. Why is 50 million Russians killed? Kind of ended in a disaster. Didn't work too good. And there is an elite. It's always a dictator. 
And then you come along and you get other communities. Uh, I was just thinking of some of the, well, I think of capitalism. It is the ideal way to hold everybody together. Because everybody will be treated fair. There will be a good middle class. And then you have Enron, where greedy men, dishonest businessmen, dishonest, greedy guys could bankrupt a company through white-collar crime and put thousands of people out of a check for the rest of their life in retirement years. And all in the name of greed, while we pay out $50 million bonuses to guys that are costing all the investors their investment, but we must give them a good bonus. When you put money and greed together, there will be no middle class, and it will be tough on the poor class, and those at the top will do the best. And if you're a Darwinian, uh, you would love that because the strong always are to survive because it's right for the strong to devour the weak because that is the law of evolution. The strong will always emerge. But Christianity says the strong came and died for the weak. The strong, the omnipotent God came and says, what these people need is not to be defeated. They need mercy. And it would necessitate God conquering through weakness. I'll become a man. I'll die. I'll display mercy. And I'm going to form a mercy community. You get into it through the grace and kindness of Jesus Christ. I think, uh, I remember the 60s, the age of Aquarius. Love, 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 hate Asbury. Timothy Leary, honey, have you got your LSD? Have you taken a trip lately? Uh, Beatniks and, and, and all of this stuff that was going on in San Francisco and this whole area. And... Uh, and as you know, if you know anything about history, the age of Aquarius kind of came to an end at Altamont when hell's angels are killing people in front of the whole country. And this is supposed to be love, sex, and a new era of young people going to bring in a new sense of community and peace and smoke your grass and sleep with your girlfriend while angels are killing us on national TV. It kind of put the death knoll on Haight-Ashbury. It just then became a drug hangout and a homosexual home, but the experiment ended. Any effort for us to get where there's fairness and fair interchange has failed one time after another, whether it's the Tower of Babel, try to get us together, get some way it breaks out and breaks down. And so God's the only one that can form a new community based upon his son, and he brings a new ethic with it. So when you come to what we're looking at, this isn't where we dive into. This is after 11 chapters of explaining mercy. He said, let me tell you what kind of motivation and what kind of behavior this mercy working in your heart will make you treat people like. The first thing, you'll be able to love them without hypocrisy or love them sincerely. It means without wearing a mask. It will not be phony love. The, lo the moment your motive is warped, it's no longer love. It's manipulation. Uh, it's what's in it for you. But he said, I've, I've created a people that I am divinely turning into lovers. 
I'm teaching them for their God has loved them in mercy. And so I have produced something, and this faith that saves is daily changing us from our selfishness, from our hypocrisy, from our faking it to get advantage, to where we finally says, I can love you without an agenda. I can love you without trying to get anything. I can love you because I see you as a person of value. I can love for the first time in my life. And who do I love? What are the two great commandments? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. And so he's saying, love people sincerely. Isn't that probably the first great proof you had that you were saved is you started loving people? Some of you haven't got there yet. You see, Pharisees don't love people. They're bugged that they've got to go to church with the guy saying, I'm a sinner, Lord. Have mercy on me. They're saying, come on, buddy. Get with it. Get over it. Don't you know I've kept all the commandments? I don't need this message. I do all this stuff automatically. No, you don't. You're a liar. The law stops every mouth. Every time God gives a righteous commandment, it's usually to zip our mouth up and say, you don't do this exactly the way I designed. That's why I'm telling you to do it and why I in mercy am creating daily in the gospel, taking you from the selfish beast you've been to loving sincerely. It's a remarkable transformation of the way we view people. Lewis wrote a remarkable little thing in his uh, treatise called The Weight of Glory. He says something about people that is astounding. He said, uh, the load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the prow will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you say, say it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. Then he says... There are no ordinary people. Every person you meet is going to be so glorified in a hundred years, you would envy them or will be in hell, and you would be horrified to think of their future. God has never given us any ordinary people in our lives. They are destined for some kind of eternal existence. So it's people that we shirk that we step over, that we hurt, that we offend, that we get mad at, that we shove off, that we don't have any time for. Who do we think we are? God has formed us into a mercy community 
where the love of God is to be gushed to his people, towards people, and what they need the most is mercy. Mercy. And mercy makes you love people. Well, he goes on to say, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Love can never be neutral about evil or good. It's not hate the consequences of evil. It is to hate the evil itself. So often we say, I, uh, I wouldn't want to do it because I'd get caught. In other words, you, you don't really hate the deed. You hate the consequences. God wants you to hate the act. Hate the act and then cleave to the good. And this word cleave is a strong word. It was used of conjugal relationships. It's the word, uh, they shall become one flesh. Glue to. Glue yourself to what's good. Uh, neutrality. You cannot remain neutral about evil and good. All views are not equal. Uh, all positions are not equal. Some things are evil. And God uses something here. He says, I've taught my people to hate it. That's very interesting. A loving community is to hate. And the news loves to print the right-wing church as uh, religious fanatics, uh, haters, haters. No, we don't want to hate people. We want to hate evil. We want to hate evil. Uh, well, the guy's into child pornography. He's got to make a living. Everybody's got to make a living. You shouldn't be upset. Not bothering you. The girl is making $5,000 for being, posing nude at five years of age. Yeah, you shouldn't be upset. No, you shouldn't if you don't have God's view on evil. Here's this holy God that's full of love, but God's also full of hate. Did you know that? You haven't read your Bible if you don't know that. He hates a lie. He hates pride. He hates uh, murder. He hates doing people wrong. He says it throughout the Bible. You read in Proverbs 6, he tells us seven things God hates. How is that be? I thought he was all love. Well, that's, that's the God you want to invent. But the God that's there hates certain things, and he loves certain things, and he's created a people to have his prejudice towards evil and his prejudice towards good. I'm prejudiced towards good. I cling to it, and I'm prejudiced against evil. I hate it. Hate a lie. Hate a man that, I, I could hate a man beating up a woman. It's repulsive. I don't want to hate the man, but I wouldn't mind smacking him. But it's wrong to beat up on women. It's wrong to beat up children abusively and put them in children's hospital. It's wrong. It's wrong to sell drugs to kids that ruin their life. It's wrong. He's not making a living. He's ruining a life. I hate it. And I have a biblical right to hate evil. Is there anything you hate like God hates? This is an age that is sophisticated to not be down on anything. Just give everybody the freedom. While well, he said, I've created a people that hate the bondage of sin so much that they would die a martyr's death trying to reach lost people to get them set free. Well, after spending the last few weeks here in the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, it's nice to get to chapter 12 and realize how we apply all of this theology the Apostle Paul is laying out for us, right? 
This is Truth For Today. You're listening to Pastor Phil Howard as we work our way through chapter 12 of Romans. Our series is called Living Sacrifice, Serving One Another. Now, speaking of serving one another, this radio broadcast really is a service provided by Truth For Today, but it's made available through your involvement directly. You see, this is a listener-supported ministry, and as you partner with us financially and prayerfully, basically what you're doing is you're serving one another. Not only do you serve us that we can continue the ministry here on KFAX, but it allows us to serve others with the gospel of Jesus Christ here on KFAX. So really, it is a marvelous way that we can serve one another as we link arms together to continue the ministry of Truth For Today. And as you do so, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, a once a year special gift, and access to Take a Break. It's the weekly video devotional featuring our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. And again, that's for being a TFT sustainer. No gift is too small and no gift is too large. Consider that as you contact us. Again, you can reach us at valleybible.org and give securely online or call 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. A lot of other information, by the way, is found on our website, valleybible.org. Who we are, what we believe, and ministry opportunities, and a chance to worship with us at Valley Bible Church, our service times, directions, and location. It's all there at valleybible.org, and we'd love to see you in person. If you do plan on visiting, let one of the ushers know you were invited by the radio broadcast. That would mean a great deal to us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 